Hello, my name is Russell Bennett, and I'm a cannabis lawyer. That's right, a cannabis lawyer. I love saying that. I love saying it because actually I can barely believe I get to call myself a cannabis lawyer and I actually have a law practice dedicated to cannabis law. Because when I got my license to practice law in 1997, there was no such thing as cannabis law. I opened my law firm with the most boring and obvious name possible, Cannabis Law, on 420 of 2018. Now, if you don't know what 420 means in terms of dates, it's April 20th. And it was a perfect day to open up a cannabis law firm because, well, 420 became the signal, the slang, the code for smoking pot. 420 used to be the time of day where kids would leave school and smoke a joint. And so I decided to open my law firm on that day. Now, this introductory episode is uh, an introduction into why I'm, I'm doing this podcast and my background in cannabis law and the industry. So, you know, um, I wasn't one of those high school kids that smoked pot regularly at 420, actually. I was actually a straight A student uh, in an all boys school in Toronto, Canada, wearing a uniform. My tie was done up to my neck, my hair all perfect with a part on the left side. And I was the guy in the front row raising my hand because I knew all the answers. And then one day, a police officer came into our grade 10 English class. No, no, it's not going that way. But he actually was there to talk to us about drugs. He unfolded a very large three-paneled glass display case filled with all kinds of illicit substances. He was brought in to educate us, but it actually backfired because he planted the seeds of curiosity in my brain, especially when it came to marijuana. And back then it was called marijuana or pot. And for some reason, I wanted to know more about this strange plant that claimed to fry your brain. Yeah, I grew up in the Nancy Reagan era of just say no. And I did say no until I said yes. You see, I fell in love with the feeling of the high from smoking cannabis for the first time in 1987 when I was 16 years old. Uh, I was um, very curious to try some. So a friend and, and me brought, uh, bought a, a baggie uh, in the school parking lot from another classmate. It was about an eighth of an ounce of what today we would call ditch weed, full of seeds and stems. But to me, it was like this, this adventure. It was more than 30 years ago, but I remember like it was yesterday. It was early November and our school's uh, soccer team, the, uh, the first soccer team, had won the championship. And there was gonna be a party at someone's house on Saturday night. So after school on Friday, my friend and I went back to his house. We were going to roll a joint or try to roll a joint. He bought some rolling papers and we laid the crumbled flower heads on his desk. And as we did it and tried to roll this crazy joint, his dad was downstairs yelling at his grandmother. And he was yelling, it's marijuana, it's pot, it's weed. And I looked at my friend and was like, what's, what's going on? What, we're, was he calling the cops? I, couldn't, I, I didn't know what was going on. Later, we realized that 
his dad was yelling at his grandmother because first of all, his grandmother's hard of hearing and they were watching TV. On TV, there was a news report about Justice Ginsburg, a US judge who admitted to smoking marijuana when he was a student and when he was a law professor at Harvard. And so he didn't get to be on the Supreme Court. So this moment linked marijuana and law together for me with endless fascination at that moment. So why am I starting a podcast about cannabis law? Well, why am I a cannabis lawyer? I, I think it all goes back to when I was in law school and was smoking weed with some friends and just realized that this, this substance was illegal. And I didn't really understand why. So I wanted to find out more. So after law school, I, uh, I chanced upon this pamphlet, not as kind of like a flyer in a hemp store in Guelph. It was the turning point of my life. I was visiting my brother and we went to this hemp store called Hemp Asylum. And I looked on the counter in this, this, this stack of flyers, I picked it up and it was kind of a cartoon drawing that said, Hemp Boy Launches Constitutional Challenge. Immediately I was fascinated. On the back was a list of all the expert witnesses that were going to be called to this Hemp Boy's challenge, his court case. It turns out that this was Chris Clay, Christopher James Clay, who was the first man in Canada to ever open up a hemp store. It was called Hemp Nation in London, London, Ontario. And he had been selling seeds for a couple of years and then started to sell cuttings. And the, the cops had busted him twice. So he was facing four life sentences for selling seeds and cuttings. And it just, it resonated with me so much that I knew I had to make a film about this case. I never really wanted to be a lawyer. I always wanted to be a filmmaker. So this was the moment. This was my moment. I was 27 years old and I thought, this is it. I've got I've to make Chris's story. I've got to make a film about it. And so that's what I did. I, I started researching and compiling evidence about all of the history of why we had a drug law, why we had this prohibition in the first place. And as I started putting it together, I started pitching the CBC and they, well, they just, they weren't interested at all, but I was determined. I thought for sure somebody is going to be interested in this story. And the first person actually who is interested in this story is the person who's engineering this podcast right now, Jeremy Benning. So Jeremy was filming the front of a bank building for some, I think, Rogers show. And I was coming out of my dad's law firm, going home. I was kind of depressed because nobody was really interested in my story. But when I passed by, and, I, and I, of course I needed somebody to be able to shoot the, the story because I didn't know how to use video equipment. And as I passed by Jeremy and his assistant on King Street late at night, one, one night in downtown Toronto, I passed by him and I thought, oh, I should ask him, maybe he'd be interested in shooting a documentary on legalizing marijuana. And I thought it was, oh, nah, I can't. It's just too crazy. He'll think I'm some weirdo. So I kept walking and I went down to the subway and there's an escalator that goes down to the subway. I walked down and I was like halfway down the escalator. And I thought, you know what? 
who cares? Why not? I'm just going to I'm just going to ask him. So I ran up the the down escalator. It took me a long time. Finally got to King Street again. And I I went determined not to sound like too much of an idiot or scary person, but I said, uh, "Excuse me." And he looked over like wondering who's this homeless guy. And I I said, "So, um, I don't want to interrupt you, but would you be interested in I see I'm 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 making a documentary about legalizing marijuana. I blurted it out. Immediately, he looked at me like, yes, and said yes, and ran to his car and gave me his card. And that started the beginning of a more than 20 year relationship and friendship with Jeremy. Uh, we shot this thing with another one of my friends, Sarah Jane. And over the course of a year, we made this documentary, which we called Stoned. Hemp Nation on trial. We interviewed all the witnesses, most I think, yeah, most of the witnesses from Chris's trial. Alan Young and Paul Burstein gave us access to their war room, to backroom scenes, to all the expert witnesses. They were amazing at giving us uh, access to this incredible, uh, you know, life-turning and country. A, a seminal event in the country's uh, history, because this was the first test case of the possession offense in Canada. And it was an incredible education into dispelling all the myths about cannabis. And that's exactly what the trial did, Judge Justice McCart did. He dispelled all of the myths about marijuana, that it was criminogenic, that it would lead to harder drugs, that it led to uh, uh, violence, that it fried your brain, all of it dispelled. None of it was true. And that was a, it was a watershed moment for the country and really for the world. So after CBC bought the documentary, uh, and of course they wouldn't buy, buy the documentary until uh, Ross Rebliati had lost his gold medal for snowboarding at the uh, 1998 Olympics. But when that all happened. CBC decided to say yes to the documentary and they bought it and it was you know, uh, aired nationally. It became their most popular documentary of the year. And then the following year, uh, Hot Docs uh, considered it as a nomination for one of the uh, best political documentaries of the year. That was an incredible event for me. And it really it made me feel like, yes, I can make a film, but yes, I'm not crazy about this cannabis law thing. I'm not crazy that cannabis should be uh, legalized, but it still didn't get legalized. So flip ahead another five or six years, and I had decided to become an actor. I went to New York to train at the Neighborhood Playhouse School of the Theater in uh, Manhattan, uh, an incredible two-year program. But when I came back to Toronto, I really wanted to do something as an actor that would stretch me as an actor, but also I was still passionate about weed. I was still passionate about telling a story that would be um, interesting to me. And so I wanted to do some research. So I moved to Vancouver and started working on a story that I named Reefer Man. And it came from the Cab Calloway song uh, of the same title. Reefer Man, I figured out this story, but I really needed help. And one of my fellow acting students, Jillian Stevensgill at the time, she 
helped me fashion this into a story about a young lawyer who was working at his dad's bankruptcy law firm and was secretly growing award-winning marijuana uh, in his basement. And sadly, he gets caught by accident and has to face a trial. And so the story ended up being this incredible 75-minute monologue, but it was a multi-character monologue. I wanted to do a multi-character show that was one man show. And Reefer Man uh, was, it started out so um, challengingly in Hamilton, Ontario, to four people in the audience, two of whom were police officers because they thought that I was selling weed. And then <laughs> it traveled across the Fringe Festival circuit. This was 2004. Uh, to Toronto, to Ottawa, to Winnipeg, Saskatoon, to Edmonton, to Victoria, and finally in Vancouver, where by the time uh, this this uh, journey had gone across the country, I was selling out uh, theaters and it was uh, a runaway success. It was this underground hit. The last performance was done in Vancouver uh, on Granville Island, and I had won a pick of the fringe and the number of pot activists who came out to watch the show, it was so humbling because I had all of the great activists there watching this show. And at the end of the show, it was one of my dream come true moment. Everybody started throwing weed onto the stage <laughs> instead of roses. They threw weed onto the stage and, and joints. And so I picked up a joint and I lit it at the end of the performance and the entire theater was hotboxed. The Fringe Festival was not very happy with me. They almost kicked me out of the Fringe Festival, but I made amends. And uh, and and Reefer Man went on to uh, some other um, professional productions. But still, even in 2004, 2005, it wasn't legalized yet. So uh, flip ahead to 2016, and I find myself working in a law firm um, Jillian, who uh, was my um, helper, started out as my helping partner, writing partner, ended up, uh, we ended up getting married, falling in love, getting married and having kids. We moved back to Toronto and uh, I became working, I went back to law and became a lawyer. Uh, so I started working with my dad for a few years in bankruptcy and insolvency law. And then I started working with another lawyer in fraud recovery, but it was during working with that lawyer that I got this case of a chain of dispensaries that was uh, uh, busted from the Project Claudia raids in Toronto in 2016. And I got to be the lawyer on that file. And it was like a full circle event for me to come back to uh, weed and the law. And it was actually a dispensary chain of a of a of a, a a dispensary that was interestingly a um, uh, a sponsor of Reefer Man uh, twelve years prior, so it was it was an incredible full circle. Anyway, I started working on the case, and I thought, you know what, this is too good to be true. I really need to make a career out of being a cannabis lawyer. I've got to open up my own firm. So that's what I did. So two years later, two thousand eighteen. I opened up my own firm, Cannabis Law. And so this podcast is really, it's a, it's a love letter. It's, it's a love, uh, a, a series of conversations about 
cannabis, about law, and about because Canada is the first G20 nation to legalize marijuana, it's uh, it's just so exciting for me to to be able to talk to really educated and and um, um, wise people about cannabis law. And I'm so excited that you've tuned in to hear this story, to hear my story. And I really hope that you enjoy all of the podcast interviews that follow. So thanks for your interest. And um, I hope you enjoy the show.